0: And I think another part of it which was totally unexpected for me was feeling validated yeah. that you do have a chronic illness and you're not weaker or less than you're, yeah. by having these things in place. You're just collecting the tools and resources that you need to get to where you need to go.
1: again to jumping off the ivory tower with prof julie mack my name is dana cornwall and i'm the project coordinator at the national self-represented litigants project at windsor law
2: and i'm julie mcfarland the director of the national self-represented litigants project
1: And this week, we didn't have to go very far to speak to our guest. We're talking to Megan Campbell, who's one of our amazing research assistants. And I have to say, even though we're featuring Megan in this episode, I want to give a shout out to all of our research assistants because they are a fantastic bunch. So committed and hardworking. But Megan came to me
2: a few months ago now with an idea for a podcast which I thought was just terrific. And her idea was to talk about how she manages a chronic illness, as you're going to hear in a few minutes. She has Crohn's disease in law school. Mm -hmm. In other words, how to deal with an autoimmune illness that is uncertain and unpredictable and still meet all the expectations of something as demanding as law school. And she has some I think very inspiring and motivating things to say to other people who might be facing a decision about whether or not they can really manage this kind of uh, competitive environment, intense environment with a chronic illness. And her her short answer is going to be yes, but we're (laughs) going to talk about that in more detail in a moment. So Megan is just about to go into second year now. She has a background in drama and English from, she has an undergraduate degree from Queens, and she still enjoys theater and Mm -hmm. worked for a while in the drama field. And she is now working as the team leader on the case law database, the Self-Represented Litigants Case Law Database. But for this interview, she is Megan Campbell, managing law school and dealing with a chronic illness.
3: Hello Megan. Hi Julie. I think that the idea that you came up with and came to me with that it would be great to do a podcast about managing a chronic illness at the same time as you're managing uh, the chronically competitive <laughs> environment of law school uh, is a fantastic idea and having watched you Megan working for the NSRLP for Most of the last year, I know from first-hand experience about how you manage the demands of your illness and your work for us. So I'm excited for people to listen to you talk about that, and I think that it's going to be very inspiring. And I was wondering if we could begin, and obviously, you know, only say as much as you're comfortable with, but to give people a sense of what it is you're managing, what chronic illness it is that you're managing and and how that affects your life and how that's something you're going to talk to us a bit more about in a moment about how you manage to integrate that with continuing to pursue your dreams.
0: Well, so I have an autoimmune disease called Crohn's disease. It's inflammation in your digestive tract. Because your digestive tract is very large, it affects... Mm. People like I can meet someone who's the same age as me, same body type, you know, same like genetic makeup as me, and they could have Crohn's and it's completely different spots that I have. So oh, okay. symptoms from person to person vary. Like the underlining ones are abdominal pain, urgency, fatigue, weight loss, malnutrition, fevers, and then there's also a whole list of other things that can happen.
3: And this, I'm assuming, Megan, and from a little bit that I've learned from working with you in this year, this gets worse and better, worse and better, but it's sort of unpredictable. Is that right?
0: So in my experience, sometimes I'll have good days and sometimes I'll have bad days. But when it's really bad, and I usually consider this goes on for several days or weeks or months, um, we call that a flare. And it just means that your symptoms are very present. And you never really know if it's going to how fast it's going to go away or if you need to go into the hospital and receive a different line of medication, for example, steroids. Right, right.
3: So there is, and I mean, I think we'll get into this a bit more as we talk a bit more about how you manage this. There's a lot of uncertainty and unpredictability here, which is also the sort of psychological side of the physiological symptoms. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, and I think that's like also something that I really struggled with because as a lot of other law students can probably relate I love to organize and you have a lot of work in first year and you have a lot of reading to do and just Mm a lot of things that you would like to finish on the average base is difficult to get through everything.
3: Challenging enough is you're fully fit.
0: Yes. And for me what I found very hard was knowing how to listen to an unpredictable body because I never knew mm-hmm. when if I was just getting tired because I've been working or if I was tired because I was getting sick and learning basically finding my pace in yeah. this workload and what was appropriate for me and what was pushing myself too hard and right. Right. Um, learning to know how to keep working because you just, you know, brain tired and how to rest because you actually needed your body to see the brain Mm -hmm. to to recover recover Yes, which is really hard to do
3: (laughs) Yes, and and, and before we go any further with this I just want to say Megan so that everybody listening understands that you've completed your first year, you've done extremely well, you've worked very hard and done fantastic work for the NSRLP and you've been working for me throughout the summer as well and so the story you're going to tell here is the story of someone who has, you know, step by step, been learning to manage this illness and at the same time, do what you want to do and to pursue your goals. And let's start back at the beginning of first year, can't wait for a moment. Yeah. Because I think, you know, everybody recognizes, uh, as you've already pointed out, law school is challenging enough if you're fully fit, that first year law school is a very steep learning curve. You're usually moving to a new city going into a new routine, learning new skills and I'm just wondering if you could say a little bit about how you managed to make all of those adjustments because I think there could be people listening who are asking themselves the same question if they're managing a chronic illness and what are the skills that you think you've developed to help you cope with those kinds of major adjustments in lifestyle. Mm
0: -hmm. I just want to say before we dive into this that these are definitely things that I peak life I've mastered now, but they definitely took, like first year was, I'm very happy to have completed and I'm very proud of the work that I've done, but it was yeah. definitely very challenging to to learn yes. these, these skills. And there were definitely times when I was like, I'm done. I can't. This is not it for me. too so much. Yeah. Looking back now, I I wish these were some things that people had told me if I had known someone with a chronic illness, which I didn't. But um, right. Right. these are right. the things that really did help me. So. And it would have be been good was, to have heard from someone else before you started. So yeah. you go ahead and be that person now. Yeah. So if you're listening, you can do it. First one is definitely organization. Having a chronic illness, you have to be organized to a certain extent for me I have to be like crazy organized with what food I eat that I Mm -hmm. have enough healthy food getting enough sleep taking my medication but coming into law school I have to learn how to prioritize my work and th- what did that look like. So it means getting contingency plans in place. So if I was sick, nice. what does this mean? Who can help me? Where can I go? So going to student accessibility services and connecting with them and speaking to faculty and, you know, professors saying this is – This this is my accommodation, which is anonymous. But I want you to know that this is who you are. Yes. And if something is to happen because of the unpredictableness of this illness, I may be meeting assistants right. and finding friends to say, look, if I'm not in class or if I'm late the first 20 minutes for class, because I'm dealing with, you know, my health, like, could you send me your notes? Is that right. something you're comfortable doing? Which seems really not a big deal, but um, that's it's hard to go into a room of strangers and ask oh, and, and to be your notes. Know, when, when you're all
3: already primed to be so competitive to one another, I mean, mm-hmm. I think You know you're describing Megan kind of putting systems in place to help you to anticipate that require you to reach out and ask for help and I also know that you're someone just like me in fact who sometimes finds it difficult to ask for help because
0: you would rather just try to manage on your own right right and I I, it's hard to ask for help because Mm. it's embarrassing in a way and I mean, it shouldn't be. We have all of these taboos about doing it. Yes. I, these plans for me, like, you know, you put them in place when you're feeling healthy and you're feeling strong, and you hope that you don't have to use them. And for me, I did end up having to use them. Um, I got, had a flare in my second semester and was on steroids for three months and then was in the hospital. And so I had to push my exams, and I was incredibly embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know. I was, i yeah. so upset. I thought that people would think I had an unfair advantage because I had more yeah. time, right. which I really right. didn't because I was. Although, I, you know, I think um, being in the hospital
3: is a fairly good reason not to be taking your exams. I think most people would think. But it, it doesn't really matter that it's not rational, does it? Because managing my own chronic illness, managing my cancer, I, I have the same thing. I don't want people to think that I'm somehow you know, not carrying through with my responsibilities. We do put that kind of pressure on ourselves. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. I've seen you do that as well. Yeah. I've seen you come to team meetings at NSRLP (laughs) when probably you shouldn't have been at home in bed because you didn't feel like you wanted to say you couldn't come. And and finding that balance, I think that's what we've talked about all year, really, Mm -hmm. isn't It's a really hard thing. And I think
0: another part of it, which was totally unexpected, me was feeling validated yeah. that you do have a chronic illness and you're not weaker or less than you're yeah. by having these things in place you're just collecting the tools and resources that you need to get to where you need to go right nice. that was out of all of my skills feeling validated was really hard for me but I, th- I think I'm there now and I think Like the best way to look at it is that, you know, I have this disease is unpredictable, but you just have to self-advocate for what you need. And self-advocacy is a really Mm -hmm. strong skill and you're going to need this for the rest of your life. Right. And Mm -hmm. to do it without embarrassment. So Mm -hmm. what? Can you give me a couple of examples
3: of of things that really helped you to feel that you were validated in simply explaining a situation to people? You weren't asking for any special favors, and in fact, what you were doing was learning new skills, because that's, I think, what Mm -hmm. you're saying.
0: Two things. First, that um, when I, you know, express these fears to my close friends and family, Mm -hmm. you would not judge someone else in this Right, know. like yes. you are your own worst critic, mm-hmm. and the other one is that there probably, you know, there probably are people doing what I'm scared of, taking advantage of the system. Not that I know of any, but you know, there are people who do look out for themselves first, and right. if you actually generally need this outlet, then. Take it, like don't feel ashamed yeah. for taking what you need. So
3: Right, and don't be put <laughs> off because you might think that there is a, some kind of a stigma to taking yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's turn this around to where I know you most prefer to talk about your illness, Megan, which is to all the positive side. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that I have certainly remarked to you is that what you're doing in managing this illness and doing so well in law school is you're actually developing a whole raft of new skills. I mean, we've talked a little bit about organization, but I know there's others that you can talk about too in a moment <laughs> that, that are not necessarily skills that you would have learned in quite the same way or maybe quite as fast and skills that I think are transferable into legal practice if that's where you're going and, in fact, into a whole range of different professional careers. So could you say a little bit about, you know, what we might call the silver lining here
0: yeah, I think there's there's a lot. I think that can be turned to a glass half perspective. Yeah. A lot of what I've been speaking about kind of self-advocacy, asking for help, learning to balance, prioritize, those are all things that I think yeah. are very important going into any workforce. And I also think a large um, skill that I'm very happy to have learned from this illness is, I don't really know how to describe it, but being calm. Yeah. found that I have been yeah. so stressed in my body and my body has put myself in very embarrassing mm. situations you know kind of like you, you plan so hard and then your body you know puts yourself in a compromising position where you're you know stuck in the bathroom and you can't leave or you can't find mm-hmm. the bathroom you're and those are very embarrassing things that happen yeah. in public and they happened to me yeah. and once they happen you're kind of like you have to keep you have to keep going you have to right keep, you know keep, life doesn't stop when and it can't get any worse really and it can't get any worse <laughs> and so you're just kind of like well here I am and here yeah. I go and the product that comes from those experiences that when you were dealing with other you know stressful experience for me I'm like well you know this really isn't the worst thing that's happened to me and I've had other things fall through that I really wish they wouldn't and it was okay and you you just keep going and I think kind of having those negative experience makes you more calm for when you're like handing in you know your first factum or you're writing your first midterm you're stressed but you're also like you know what even if I bomb this Yes. Yeah. It's like yeah. something yeah. something will work out and I'll figure out a way to make this work. Right. I mean what you're and describing
3: is is having I think a sense of perspective, which is something right. that is often very hard to hold on to in first year law school where writing your factum seems to be you know, the only thing that, you know, is marginally, you know, almost as important as world peace. Right. And, and and also just as you said, just kind of began to stay calmer in the moment because I know that you deal with a lot of threats uh, on a regular basis, and so you become, I suppose, uh, better at managing it. I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. see you do that, Megan.
0: Well, there's definitely a, the law school hype. You're with the same people every day, every class, every, mm. doing everything on the same, you know, trajectory as them, and there's this. Anxiety about getting good, good grades. You can get a summer job. So you can get an article job. so You can get a, a position yeah. where you can work and make an income. And it, it, it does get stressful. And I found that when I would start having, you know, symptoms of my illness, it really just pulled me out of that stress. And I was like, I don't need to stress yeah. about this. I need to yeah. to yeah. deal with the present. And in a way, that was really take care depressing. of your health first. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it kind of just centered me in those times, which was really bizarre. Thing. I, I would never have thought that feeling sick would make me feel better. <laughs> right. It's, it's a sort of a paradox, isn't
3: it? Yeah. In a way that it's, it's been able to give you a greater sense of calm and rising, rising above it. Mm-hmm. So would you say, I know that you know, you, you're planning to go on and work in practice, and you know, would you say that there are ways in which managing an illness like this, a chronic illness, is actually going to make you a
0: better lawyer, Megan? <laughs> I hope so. But, you know, that's a hard question just because there's, I still have some anxieties about going into a workforce Mm -hmm. and dealing with this. If we're being, you know, completely candid. Yeah. As much as there's positive talk, I do think that's a part of my future that I am a bit anxious about. And I'm just hoping that I will be able to manage it. But that being said, I think having a chronic illness has been able to connect me to people, whether it be clients or coworkers, like even with my work with the self-represented litigants project, it's connecting with you over this,
3: you know. Well, it builds empathy, doesn't it?
0: And and it builds Mm your sense of empathy, doesn't it?
3: I think, you know, I know that I'm much more empathetic now than before I had cancer about people who who deal with illness because I just understand it so much Mm -hmm. better and it seems that that's a quality that's going to be really important in the work that you do in the future and the other thing that that I am hearing you saying is you've got to be realistic you know it's not all doom and gloom but it's not all easy either and realism Mm -hmm. when you work with clients who need you know realistic targets and expectations management all of these things I think are, are really important and I see you being very sophisticated on that front <laughs> yeah your own experiences
0: and that took that also took a really long t- like being realistic I really feel like I only learned like a few months ago really and it's making taking a hard look at what your reality is and I think mm-hmm. that will serve me in this in the legal profession, you know, not being seduced by kind of the things that draw you in and looking at, you know, the reality of what a work day looks like and what, where do I fit in in this yeah. environment? Where's the best place for me? Which I'm still, you know, investigating on, but mm-hmm. I think that frame of mind will be of benefit moving forward in my career to close
3: Megan could you you said at the beginning that you really would have benefited from hearing somebody talk as frankly as you have today about managing an illness in law school before you started well mm-hmm. so what would you say to people who are you know maybe still wondering can i do this and obviously you know there's a whole range of different chronic illnesses out there and a range of different individuals coping with them but if you if you could give advice what would the advice look like
0: my advice would be to just if you're thinking about law school you really want to do it but you're you're nervous about your body just go just apply go to school write about your chronic illness in your entrance package
3: be open about it yeah
0: well just be open about it because people respond to that and they see people do see the positives which i was a bit nervous about on my applications and just at the end of the day all all the law schools as i'm aware have services set up to help people who have chronic illness yes and you know be confident in self-advocacy because not everyone is aware of each particular chronic illness but sometimes i know for me, there needed to be a little bit of guidance. You know, that's not for me, but yes. this would work better. But at the yeah. end of the day, you're going to an institution that is there to support you and wants you to do well mm-hmm. and wants to work with you help you be able to, you know, achieve this really big accomplishment of law school. The best advice that someone gave me was, like, just think about it as getting an education. Yes. And when you're done, if you, if, you know, if you need to do something that's not as intense, you have... A great degree to back you up a foundation yeah a foundation yeah. and that can take you to so many places if not law like yeah. it was in law but there's also so many other opportunities
3: i don't think there's really any limits on what you can do megan having watched <laughs> you this last year and i really hope that your words are going to be inspiring to others so thank you so much for your time today
0: thank you so much for having me i really appreciate the opportunity to speak
2: I'm gonna to start today. I know usually Dana starts these conversations, <laughs> but I, I wanna say first of all how very grateful I am to Megan for doing this. Yes. I think it took a lot of courage to be really upfront about this. Uh, we have been talking throughout the last year that she's worked with us on how we can be supportive to her and how she can be upfront and disclosing about what she's dealing with. And as someone who is a cancer patient, mm. all of this of course makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I was especially struck because I think this is one of the very hardest things to deal with, where Megan talked about the impact of uncertainty and never really knowing from day to day or week to week how she was going to feel, which is something that is one of my major challenges as well.
1: Yeah, this hit home for me as well thankfully. I'm not myself dealing with a chronic illness, but Megan's situation really reminds me of my mom, who also has an autoimmune disease. My mom has lupus, Um, and although it's been many years since it's uh, really flared up and affected her life, she was diagnosed and dealing with it at the same time in her life as Megan is, which is as a very
2: young woman, yeah,
1: a young woman in her early to mid twenties and going through university and going through school and trying to deal with all of that. And a lot of the things Megan was talking about really reminded me of what my mom has dealt with, including, you know, dealing with flare ups that you never know when they're going to come steroids as a treatment, which is, you know, yuck. Yeah. (laughs) And it really, when she talked about, when you both talked about the kind of the psychological difficulty of the unpredictability of a disease like this. It made me think a lot about, I think, in a certain way, especially as a young person, a young woman, that hits you in a particular way. And my mom has kind of talked Mm. about this. And I actually, full disclosure, talked to my mom a little bit about this just this morning because I wanted to ask her if it was okay if I mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about Megan and what she's going through. And mom was very interested, of course, and related a lot. Yeah. And one of the things that my mom said that I thought was really great was that the whole thing at that time, it very much affected her confidence level going into the future. Yeah. That just yeah. not knowing, especially at a time when you're trying to figure out your life exactly. and what you're going to do and who you're going to be, adds a whole other layer, layer of kind of anxiety.
2: Right. And I was so struck that Megan was as she always is because she's so exact with language, of Mm -hmm. course. She was so careful about saying that she hoped she would have a legal career. Mm -hmm. And when I look at her, first of all, she is an outstandingly good student, and I look at the determination that she has and the skills and the resources that she's developed because of this Mm -hmm. difficult experience, I think there's nothing that's gonna stop her from being an outstanding lawyer, and moreover, bringing to that work all kinds of qualities Of empathy and sensitivity that many other lawyers will not have learned by her age in life.
1: Exactly. But, you know, kind of speaking of that as well is Megan talks about her struggle in some ways to accept... The supports that are available, and that yeah. now she's come to understand that there's no shame in going to campus health services, in asking for accommodations, yeah. for things like that. And this, again, reminded me of the experience that my mom had because my mom was um, first got ill in her second year of undergrad. She had to leave school just before exams in her second mm. in her first semester of second year. She basically had to drop out of her program, and she did go back to school eventually after several years when she was better, but we were talking about this, her and I, this morning that, you know, as far as she knew, and I'm guessing that there weren't any... Supports. Any accommodations? No, yeah. and I, it kind of makes me wonder if there had been more support. Because as Megan talked about her experience in the in the past winter semester, she had to leave school. Yeah, she was she, hospitalized. she was
2: hospitalized just before the exams at Christmas. But she was able
1: to get reschedule them pushed them. back and reschedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one thing. I think we are starting to come forward in education and in society as a whole in talking about issues like this and also hopefully providing some supports. Uh, So that is one good thing. And I'm glad that Megan recommends that people shouldn't feel embarrassed. Right, and I I think,
2: you know, there is so much more uh, support and accommodation for people, but it also gets a really bad rap I mean, people listening to this, I'm sure, especially anybody who's still at school, will be thinking, yes, but I know people who get accommodations who don't really have any issues. And I think that one of the things that comes out so clearly from what Megan's saying is that if you have a chronic illness that requires flexibility within the system, do not be afraid to be seen as taking advantage. This is what the system is designed now to respond to.
1: Absolutely. And then finally, uh, one of the other big themes that, especially towards the end of your conversation with Megan that came out was this idea of the embarrassment of something like this. And I know you had experience with this and I I know my mom has had experience with this and that it gives you, in the end, it's it's awful to go through and it is embarrassing and it's all of these things, but as she speaks about, it kind of gives you a perspective in the end that... uh, you know what are the things in life that really matter and
2: you know? Yeah, so I mean, I think, I think one of the examples that she's, she's given me in the past is when you've been trying to find a bathroom in a shopping yes. mall urgently, it makes turning in your first year memo seem much less important. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that, you know, she really does bring out the vulnerability that people with chronic illnesses feel. And accepting that vulnerability, I think, is hard. Mm-hmm. Certainly it's hard for Megan, and certainly it's hard for me. But at the same time, making yourself vulnerable can also be a very affirming thing to do Mm -hmm. because you have to accept the help of others around Mm -hmm.
1: you. Yes. And, you know, just one last thing I wanted to say about um, Megan's character, and I don't know how much of this comes from her experience um, with her illness. I think partly it's just who she is. But through all of this, Megan is such a positive fun Mm. person and has such an incredible sense of humor about all of this. And like, she's just, she's one of the most enjoyable people to be around. She's so much fun, which is, is extra impressive when you know what she's been dealing with. It certainly is.
4: In other news, first up, An exciting research study was published at Ulster University in Northern Ireland about self-represented litigants, and it adds to the existing scholarship on access to justice for this group. The study investigated the experience of SRLs to assess their access to justice rights. This examined the right of SRLs to a fair trial, and also tested a model of providing advice on legal procedures to SRLs to see whether it was effective. The participants included 179 SRLs and 59 people who work or assist within the court system. From September 2016 to August 2017, data was collected in civil and family courts in Northern Ireland. The research analyzes qualitative and quantitative data collected from these participants and the results are presented in the main report, a summary report, and five different briefing papers. We've linked first to the collection of reports on the Ulster University website, and second, to a shorter news article that presents some of the findings. We're glad to see more research is being done on the issue of SRLs in access to justice. Next up in other news, the University of Calgary Faculty of Law published an interesting and insightful blog post on the increased risk of conflating self-represented litigants and vexatious litigants. The post comments on two recent 2018 decisions from the Alberta Court of Queens bench. This discussion on vexatious litigants is somewhat relevant to our previous case law database report on cost awards and will be extremely relevant to one of our upcoming reports on the exact issue of whether SRLs are unfairly labeled as vexatious litigants. This issue is one of judicial fairness, which is something that we at the NSRLP take very seriously. We're hoping this Calgary blog post and our upcoming report can shed insight on this issue and contribute to a productive conversation on the future of our justice system. Lastly, in case you missed it, NSRLP published our updated list of national and provincial resources. This document is 79 pages long, but is an organized one-stop guide to to seeing what documents, websites, and organizations are out there supporting SRLs across Canada. This update is the first time that we've had resources from every province and territory in the country. The document is organized by province and even has specific sections dedicated to some larger cities in British Columbia, Alberta, and Ontario. Bookmark the page on our website, share it with others, and email us if you think of a resource that would be worth including. A major shout out to research assistant Megan Campbell for working on this updated resource. Yes, the same Megan you just heard from. I know what you're probably thinking. She's awesome. We agree. That's it for this week of jumping off the ivory tower. Join us next week when we chat with Windsor Law professors, Bev Jacobs and Valerie Waboos, talking about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission.